0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Legend of Portalcast. Uh, I'm Colin and I'm the main host and I just wanted to take a quick moment to do this intro and thank everyone for the initial response and feedback that we have got since launching this podcast. This has been such a wild ride and a project I've been working on for a while. So it feels really rewarding to hear a lot of that positivity. I wanted to thank you all for that. Um, To get in touch with us, uh, we have a couple different ways of doing that. We have a Facebook page, which is Legend of Portalcast, a Twitter and an Instagram of the same handle. We really want to create a dialogue. One of the things we did in the old show was we had people send in emails and we would read those to you know add to our discussion uh talk answer any questions uh either about the show or uh about the series and we would love to include that so feel free to reach out to us on those social channels or email us at legendofportalcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. thank you so much again guys let's get on with the show Uh, so, we are back for episode number two. Welcome back, guys.
1: Hey. Good
2: to be back.
0: It's hey. <laughs> <laughs> just a sudden Did we ever leave? I
1: thought we just kind of ha- hung out on the chat waiting for to start a second one.
0: But <laughs> yeah. So, uh, this week we are discussing all about King Boomy. Um, he's definitely a big fan favorite and one of our personal favorites uh, so we wanted to dedicate an entire episode to him uh, so this week I have a couple co-hosts with me I have first Susan
1: hello mad geniuses of the world
0: <laughs> uh, next we have John
2: they call me Rocky because I like deep rocks
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, next we have Kristen hey guys and lastly we have Casey
3: hey everybody
0: awesome uh, so I guess uh, for this episode, we kind of had everyone go back and watch uh, a couple different episodes. Uh, the first uh, that we're going to be talking about um, is The King of Omashu, where we're first introduced to Bumi. Uh, then we're going to be talking about Return to Omashu in book two. And then uh, talking about some of the shenanigans he gets into in the finale of the series with uh, the old masters and the taking back of Bossing ba Sei. Se. So uh, we're going to go ahead first and I want to just get into this about uh, King of Omashu and what it was like for you guys kind of revisiting this episode because it is such an early episode of the series where it's really kind of part of that uh, you know, first run of episodes where we have a lot of romps and silliness but you know, really kind of epitomizes what the show is about with some serious tones towards the end of the episode but overall general silliness and fun action.
4: Boomy is why I love the Earth Kingdom. Like, before I ever met Toph, Boomy is, for me, what epitomizes the Earth Kingdom and why it's awesome. So that was, for me, like, the best episode that really drew me in, in my opinion.
0: Nice. Was there anything, like, in particular about uh, how he represented the Earth Kingdom to you that, like, really kind of was a gravitational pull for you?
4: In particular for him, it is because... He is—he is so sturdy. Like if you think about how, when, 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 um, when I, Uncle Iroh is talking about the elements, or even when um, I forget the the firebending general that was banished. His name uh, Jun 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 or,
0: Chang-jun, or Chang-jun. Dun-dun. Yep. Dun-dun.
4: <laughs> um, They talk about the stability, the endurance, you know, things like that. And if you think about it, you know, this is a, this is somebody that Aang knew as a child. So he has survived a hundred years while Aang was in an iceberg. So right there alone tells you how sturdy he is as a person. Um, they don't really tell you much about his background, but when you first meet him, he doesn't seem like, you know, a prince or anything like that. He doesn't seem like royalty. And even though they don't go into his background, I kind of assume that he kind of worked his way into his position. He's not what you expect either, because he does put himself forward as, like, this crazy, neurotic, unpredictable, unstable character. So he doesn't even, like, come forward as... as what you expect initially when you meet him in the end. In the end, he's um, he's very rational. He's very methodic. Um, he's a very surprising character. And then when you meet him later and find out he's part of the White Lotus, like he's I def- I definitely didn't see him as being part of the White Lotus towards the end.
0: I think so much of his wide appeal um, and why he became such a fan favorite was because of all of those things that you mentioned with him. You know, epitomizing. Uh, what it means to be from the Earth Kingdom, but he is just such a wild card, and so insane. And it's like, when we first meet him in The King of Omashu, he is honestly more like a Monty Python character, more than anything else. (laughs) It's like, you know, like something you'd see out of uh, out of the Holy Grail, you know, almost like the back and He's forth.
1: It has a whole new meaning. <laughs> you kind of, you kind of expected him all of a sudden just to come out with like coconuts and just sit there and be like, where did you get those coconuts? Those are coconuts they could have been carried by an English swallow. Like, and just kind of expected this entire thing to occur. And I agree. Kristen did a great job explaining King Gumi in terms of, you know, really what he represents as the earth kingdom. And, Let's all focus on the fact that he's, like, probably 112 years old. And he is, like, he just comes down and he's, like, I'm going to fight you. And he's, like, ah, oh, I got the old man. And he just whips out. He's just, like, hold on, bruh, I am beast mode. And just, that would be grandpa. Watching that with your, like, think about watching that with, like, someone who's never seen it as a five-year-old. And she's watching it and she's, like, where was he hiding that? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, see, people aren't always what you expect them to be.
4: That is the perfect question for him, though. That, like, when you think of Bumi, where was he hiding that? That is the question you should always ask.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty crazy, too, when you think about the older characters in Legend of Korra, when they show Katara um, and Zuko, and it's like, you know, they're, they're still competent fighters, but clearly, you know, they have, like, some limitations and everything, but, like, Boomy is even way older than they are, and he's still <laughs> an incredibly talented fighter, and the fact that he's, like, remained through all of this is kind of incredible and also, like, insane.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: John or Casey, you guys have any thoughts?
3: I was just gonna say, just to go off of that, it's funny, like, when you mention the other older characters, like, Boomy just hasn't... Aged, except for just age. Like he has, his philosophy has stayed the same from when they do that flashback with him and Aang up through now, and and even more than we thought. Like he just, he's 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 taken that mad genius and has remained that mad genius, and that's probably what kept him alive for so long, just because he just he was just very, just like very keen on his uh, his way of being. And it, it's really, it's actually kind of inspiring. It's pretty cool. He's very, very well thought out, very well planned out. And yet, you think he's, but th- like I said, when you first meet him, it's like you think he's just like making this stuff up or he's just being crazy. But he's got like a, you know, he's got a philosophy to everything. It's awesome.
2: Yeah. Well, Boomy, um, you know, before I watched the first Boomy episode, I always just kind of thought old people characters and shows were crappy and not awesome. And Boomy totally changed my perspective on that. And like he says, in uh, the um, old masters episode, you know, old people are awesome or something like that. And he's right. Like now I, I really like, um, like, especially in core, I find myself liking the older characters more than um, the main cast.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting um, that, you know, I think it also taps into something that Makes Avatar so accessible for so many people is that the wide breadth of age. Um, you have the young kids who can really uh, identify with, uh, you know, Aang and Sokka and Katara. You have teenagers who can really, uh, you know, empathize with Zuko or May. And then you have, you know, your adults. Uh, you have, uh, you know, whether it's Sokka and Katara's father, um, or you even have. People who are older than that with Boomy and Iroh. And it just it's really shows the breadth of humanity in this world. And I think it really lends to making it more believable and more accessible for different types of people. Also, we need to talk about the fact that King of Omashu was the first time that we got to see the Cabbage Man and the Cabbage Merchant. Cause... Oh my
1: gosh. And then every time he pops up now, like my daughter's looking for him in every episode. Like we got to where they were like the refugees on the boat and she's like, There's the cabbage guy that they destroyed the cabbages and she's like, Ah, his cabbages. And I'm like, that is not how you respond. She's like, now he's gonna say the line. <laughs>
4: And I can't cook cabbage in the kitchen without my husband doing that now, too. Like, when I introduced him to the series, like, when I go to make, like, shredded cabbage for soup or something, like, if he's walking in the house and he sees me, like, shredding cabbage, like, that's his reaction. Like, it's a household phrase.
1: (laughs) That literally became a household phrase with everybody, I think, like, after this series like that. That, People were making t-shirts and going to cons and literally yelling out across the con going, my cabbages
0: And I think what's also uh, really interesting too about this episode with Bumi and the the fact that we get to see earthbending for the first time, that with uh, waterbending, it's based off of Tai Chi, and we see a little bit of that from Katara, you know, very low level kind of stuff in the first couple episodes, and with Aang, uh, Bagua, and we get to see a lot of those forms, but now with... The King of Omashu, we get to see for the first time Earthbending happen, and I think it's 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 sometimes difficult for like for me whenever I because I've seen so many of these episodes so many times and watched through Korra and Avatar that I forget like oh yeah this is the first kind of introduction as to how Earthbending works and the forms and how it is this it's so different from what we have seen so far from Wait. water and air.
1: I think you're wrong. Colin, I think the first time we get introduced to Earthbending is Haru, which happens before King of Omashu. I
0: don't know I th- because uh, Haru uh, Imprisoned, I think, is episode seven because the episodes preceding this it are um, the Southern Air Temple and uh, the Kyoshi Warriors. And then it's King of Omashu.
1: You might be right, actually. I'm just, I, I think Haru is like literally the next episode or the episode <laughs> after. I'm like trying to remember like, wait, did I watch that one with Emily or did I not? Because there was an episode I didn't watch with her and she knew about earthbending by the time we got the King of Amashu and I couldn't remember why. Maybe it's because they introduced Kiyoshi and Kiyoshi was an earthbender in the Kiyoshi Warrior episode and maybe that's why hmm. she made that connection. But we didn't get to see, you're right, we didn't get to see the gamut of earthbending to Amashu. Yeah.
0: And I mean, you know, we we dive in further with uh, Haru being the earthbender and all of that. But, you know, I, yeah, but I think Casey, were you going to say something or Kristen?
4: Well, I was just going to say that even when with Imprisoned, it's kind of limited, too, because even though the earthbending sequence for Omashu doesn't happen till the end, that is the focus of it is specifically his earthbending and his power, to where in Imprisonment with Haru, I mean, he's kind of practicing a little bit here and there, and then at the very end there's the fight for freedom, but, I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's pretty mixed, you've got a lot of things going on, and that's not, the battle isn't quite the focus, the focus at the end of the Imprisonment is their escape and kind of revenge and freedom and stuff, it... Like, when I watched it, I didn't even think... Like, when she's talked about her I'm sitting here like, is there really that much earthbending in there? And it's like, yeah, I guess it kind of is, but you don't... That's not what highlights it. The battle between Aang and Bumi is is a literal demonstration of it because Bumi is so grounded, like, versus the one episode uh, with Imprisonment where they're using the coal. And you see some of the people demonstrating it, but it's really not the focus. More of the cutscenes are to Aang and Katara and them fighting. So, I mean, regardless of the flow of episodes Boomy is the first like demonstration of how
1: it's done mm-hmm. and it was it was King of Amashu then in prison so I like had him flipped mm-hmm. but, yeah like no I, I agree totally Boomy is like holy goodness there's this style out there that literally does this mm-hmm. and makes rock candy too
0: yeah and the in uh, the form for earthbending too is it's based off of uh, hungar and uh, the martial arts advisor for the show uh, Sifu Kisu was the one who uh, went in and did so much of this kind of choreography. Worked with Mike and Brian to translate that to the art style and animation. And I think you know what really brings people back to the show too. And I think what always keeps it so fresh is that it is such a unique take on combat and the way not only through you know you're manipulating the elements, but it is something that's grounded in our world that we can kind of connect with even if we haven't even if we're not familiar with all these different forms you can see like okay i have seen you know some like you know forms or hand positions or movements like that maybe like in old kung fu movies or something uh that we still get to connect with
3: yeah that actually that's a that's an interesting point because going back through even when you see in the uh, the old masters and then you have Pandao, was was Pandao based off of sifu kisu if i'm if i'm
0: yes if he I'm, was yep
3: um, you're seeing like those, 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 Boomy and all of them are just like now you're seeing all the different forms in action. And then knowing that he was also based, like they used Pandao and based it off of him just felt, it was just so cool. It just felt so like, it felt very like like human and just seeing like how they, they thought differently. And it was just reminded of, of oh yeah, that they, they actually used real forms of uh, martial arts and combat to like animate. And just seeing that animated is mind blowing. At the same
4: time, the choreography had to have been interesting, though, because you got to imagine there were situations where they're like, oh, I really want to, like, animate a scene like this, and it kind of goes outside of what would be possible based strictly on the forms of the martial arts. So I also wonder, like, I, I never really dove too much into – I did some behind-the-scenes stuff that I watched when I originally watched the show, but I never really went too far into, like, how they came up with creative solutions, like, okay, well – this is the style they use, but this is the situation we're in. How do we like adjust this? How do we add to it and keep it authentic to make sure that it's true to the form, but still kind of have to like invent different ways of making the choreography work. So it's really attractive. It's creative and original and true to the martial art form that they're using. I don't know if any of you guys know more about that.
0: Well, I think when it comes to how martial arts are shown, uh, you know, whether it is an animation or in live action, so much of it, comes down to how is it going to translate to the viewers. Um, There's always kind of this idea of, all right, we're going to use this specific type of form, and you know, this is going to, you know, be an homage to the form. But is this how it was really used, or how it's actually used? So if you take like a standard action movie, one of my favorites in the past several years was John Wick. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but they did. Where he hunts
1: down someone who took his kitten. Of course, we've all seen that. (laughs) So, oh, wait, was it the dog? It was the is dog? A dog, yes. But it, <laughs> I'm thinking Keanu. <laughs> uh,
0: but it was really cool that they utilized a lot of different martial arts forms. In um, the second one, they used grappling, and they were able to show it in a really, really powerful way. But when you look at actual grappling techniques, it it doesn't really look pretty because it really is just like people just wrestling on the ground and it doesn't really look cinematic. But, you know, they opened up and kind of uh, showed it in a way so that it was easier for audiences to follow it and to understand it. And I think that that was the case um, for Avatar as well. They were able to do more specifically with the forms because, you know, it's rooted in kind of an older tradition um, and you have more control with the animation. But I I'm sure there were times where they had to kind of make concessions and do things that, you know, is this exactly what this form was written in this so-and-so text and everything. But it's all very relative anyway, because it's how you interpret it, how you use it, and the creativity that you bring to the forms.
1: Well, it's also, I mean, to build off of that, if you've ever done competition at all, like Taekwondo or anything like that, like, it's not your forms are there. Don't get me wrong. In some cases, like they're pretty. Your fighting is well founded within the form because there are certain elements to it. But it's always going to be situational, and you know it's almost that it's instinctual instead of being something where I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do form three right now. Like it's, it's pretty much like okay, like oh look, they're kicking for my face. There's an open spot. Whack. Like it's not. It's it's a different it's a different motive, and the forms are you know, something, one part of it. The other part of it's really, you know, really getting yourself to just become one with the actual art itself so that, you know, in some cases you make it your own. The style may not have been initially designed for someone who's five foot three, but you can kind of make it your own in some way, but it's still representative of the form. Like, it's really weird to think about, I think, from that perspective because there's some things that are much more challenging for me but I've definitely been able to pull them off over the years. It just takes more practice, more willing, more discipline, and more willingness to listen to your own inner body. So, mm-hmm. and that's and that's going to get to the next part of that where I talk about the fact that literally Boomy sets up everything for learning about earthbending is listening and waiting as part of earthbending. Like he talks about that neutral Jing, and that's partly is just listening, and he says like it's the key.
0: Yeah, and I think what's what I, I really loved about revisiting uh, King of Omashu is that this is really the first time um, that Aang is kind of told the stakes. We hear something, you know, a little bit from Sokka and Katara in the first couple episodes of like, well, the, you know, Fire Nation has waged this war, you know, this is what's happening and everything. But at the end of the King of Omashu, Bumi is standing there with Aang saying, look, you have to bring balance to the world. You have to defeat Fire Lord Ozai. This is kind of, you know, what you, this is your purpose. And he's kind of setting that trajectory. And I think we get more context to that uh, trajectory when we see the storm, because we see why Aang ran away and, you know, more of his responsibilities and how that was weighing on him and everything. But Bumi really is kind of this gatekeeper who is telling him, hey, look, this is your responsibility going out into the world and this is what you have to do. And I think so much of the lessons and these like crazy challenges that he presented him, you know, I think part of it was that he wanted to mess with him. As he said, it's fun messing with people, <laughs> but you know, the other side of it too, is that he was like, look, I still see that this is the happy go lucky, innocent kid. And it's like, you have to reminding him of that lesson that you have to think outside the box and think creatively because You are going to be faced with so many challenges. This is such a different world. And he was kind of throwing him through the gauntlet because it's like, look, you can't just coast through and avoid and jump around things. You're going to have to meet things head on sometimes. And how much that kind of sets the tone for Aang's growth and something that, you know, eventually comes to a head when he trains with Toph. And how she kind of tells him, like, you know, you need to be able to stand your ground. You have to be able to do this. This is what it takes to be an earthbender. And that boomy kind of setting the tone for Aang's trajectory for the whole story, but also for him learning to be an earthbender.
3: If that's really interesting, though, because um, we were reminded also that it, it isn't the, um, the the opposite of air-earth. That's, like, the hardest element for him to, to learn. Mm-hmm. So even more so for him, because... It's, it's the opposite element. It's his opposing element. And that's that makes it even more like challenging for him.
0: Hmm.
1: And and to build on what Casey says, I mean, like that's exactly right, because at one point he gets very frustrated later down the road when he's training with Toph, and Katara reminds him that it's his complete opposite. And if you think about airbending, airbending's all about the flexion and moving around and not really solidly standing there and striking someone, whereas earthbending is literally this horse stance kind of, and like it's it's pretty much like I am not gonna move or you will have to move me, pick one. Mm. So, I mean is she like Casey's totally right, it's his other opposite, it's much harder for Aang at this point. And I think, you know, Gumi really exemplifies that in this episode
0: but it's such a great misdirect because like you're introduced to him and you're like, who is this man? He is so insane. He's like throwing like all of these ridiculous jokes. And oh my God, I think, and I forgot about this part too, is that all the jokes throughout (laughs) the King of Omashu, (laughs) it's always accompanied with like total silence and then a cough, like off in the distance.
1: I forgot about that.
3: <laughs> so beautiful. Genius. It's like the writers knew what they—they they obviously know what they're doing, but it's like they just made it even more funny just by doing that because it's all one of those like crickets and then, heh, yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's original <laughs> jokes.
0: <laughs> well, I think like the obliviousness of him is what really reminds me of, uh, like a Monty Python character that like kind of—it's just like they—they—they they, they don't really see outside of themselves when they're being so ridiculous and so insane but again is that like just boomy like lost in kind of his own madness or how much of it is really calculated and uh and i don't know do you guys have any thoughts on that like if you really had to kind of pin it i know kristen you initially touched on it but like if you really had to pick is this is it a balance between the two is it one or uh in stronger one direction or the other
4: I, I would argue that he is he is a very well-balanced character because we see it, while he himself is not strongly developed as everybody else you see consistently, like, you definitely get a lot of different dimensions from him. So initially through the episode, you do see, like, the, <laughs> the amazing sense of humor he has, regardless of how the animators want to present it, and his strength as an individual, but then at the end, he does turn it down, he's a little bit wiser, he has some foresight, you know, if he has, he's plus 100 years old, you better have foresight if you're that old. Um <laughs> And we keep re- meeting him later, and he's he's doing things like he's a patient individual. So you know, people who are insane aren't always necessarily patient, especially if they're very energetic. The way he comes off and in initially, like he jokes about being an old man, but he's sitting here throwing like chicken and egg really fast and all sneaky. Like he's <laughs> he's he's not truly old in body or soul, but he is a very patient individual. He has a lot of energy. He's very strong. He's very wise. I mean, he's. His character has a lot going for it, and I think part of it is, is, you know, some people get a little bit crazier as they get older just as a result of just being in this world for so long. It can be hard experiencing the pressures of life for, you know, 80 to 100 years without getting a little wacky. But for him, though, he's crazy from the beginning. <laughs> you know, it's established that he was like that as a child. And I, yeah,
1: he was crazy as a child. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how to balance it.
4: I mean, he he's a king for a reason. He's not presented as a prince or a royalty in the beginning, but he's a king when we meet him. And there's a reason for that. And I think that it is that he is a very well-balanced individual who's who's calculating and wise.
3: I'll have to second that. I don't think you can say it any better. He is very balanced. He's he's. I think that's why he's he's a, He's established himself like like he, like you were saying, just as as a as a leader and a very capable leader. Um, and he knows exactly who he is. So yeah, he was a he was a kooky kid, and he's a kooky. He comes up comes off as a kooky old man, but he knows exactly what is going on, and and understands the consequences of different things. So he's very very well balanced, and that represents again bending and the earth and that whole being strong standing your ground and being completely level with everything so he's he's definitely a balanced individual i think so too yeah.
0: it, it makes me really want to see uh a, a game of pie show between boomy and just uh, frankly anyone but i mean it would just be really amusing and interesting to see a game you know like between can you imagine a game between boomy and paku and kind of the back and forth and how like the different play styles would translate from, you know, their approach to bending.
1: No, I'd want to see a game between him and Iro, because yes. they would they would literally feed off each other's terrible jokes, and it would be <laughs> literally the episode of dad jokes like, that go on, <laughs> and it would be beautiful. And there would there would be tea, and it would be amazing. The end. I could watch that for thirty minutes. I think. Or
4: <laughs> him and Dong Dong, with his really like negative, dark demeanor about fire being destructive. Like I could see Boomy just kind of like laughing and calling him funny every time he makes a really dark comment.
1: <laughs> fire is so destructive, Boomy. <laughs> you should try rock bending. <laughs> It'll go down. Genomite
4: friend, you need some rock candy in your life. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, and it's interesting because we kind of see the uh, the underlying current that's there for all of these uh, characters, you know, and why even though we don't necessarily see it coming with all of their return towards the end of the series for the old masters, you see it. And then you're like, okay, that makes sense. You see Zhang Zhang, you see Pian Dao, you see Paku, Iroh, and Bumi, and you're like, yeah, there is kind of this shared connection there. And I think a lot of it does come from this sense of balance and understanding the world from a greater perspective, which I think is, you know, what the Order of the White Lotus is all about. And I think they say at one point, it's like, you know, understanding, uh, like... Beauty and truth and love. Uh, I don't know. Is that just like Team Rockets uh, to denounce the evils of truth and love?
1: <laughs> I can't believe so it. just people just, with it on so
3: <laughs> My favorite characters on Pokemon. The only reason why I end up watching the show after years and years and years is because they, yeah. <laughs> just to hear that. Just to hear that. <laughs>
0: So uh, I want to I want to get uh, I want to transition into uh, the the second episode where we get to see Boomy and that's uh, Return to Amashio. I know we've kind of briefly touched on some of the elements from there, but you know we don't see him towards the end of the episode. But I think it's always so interesting with this episode to kind of hear his citizens talk about him when they first go underground and they're hearing from everybody and they're just like we don't. don't know what happened he just gave up the city and to me it was like okay i i do understand how that can be surprising but at the same time it's like if you are his subjects and have been his subjects wouldn't you kind of like come to anticipate this from him by now
1: (laughs) king booby what do you want to do you'll do nothing (laughs) like (laughs) that (laughs) exactly (laughs) what occurred and you just go wait what huh and that's when my daughter reiterated to me, "Mommy, he's still crazy, but I still like him." <laughs> I, mean, I love this- the whole
4: end where he's like telling Aim to stop saving.
1: Stop! Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> you could Earth Ben it- the whole time. They didn't, it didn't cover, cover my, my face.
3: face. <laughs> <laughs> it's-, it's, so it's actually interesting. interesting. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, when you look at the King of Amashu and then the Return of Amashu, two things, similar things happen with Bumi. They question, they make you question his sanity and his loyal, not loyalty, but his sanity, I guess. The first the first episode in, in King of Amashu, you, it's your first time meeting him and you're like, who, what, what is he doing? Does, is this guy for real? Is he really the king? Is he crazy? The second time you learn that the the the, when the resistance they they meet with them like oh yeah king Boomy just gave up and you see the look on ang's face like like what did he and he looked so disappointed so it's sort of like both a a similar parallel between both episodes where you're just sort of like it makes you sort of question your and i mean and by this i think we we had faith in Boomy's like okay he definitely has a reason behind this because we learn but it's interesting that they kind of follow a similar parallel with both episodes like Questioning what are Bumi, what Boomi's actions are, and then by the end it makes sense. He always has a reason for what he's doing, so I just like just realized that.
1: <laughs> Can we also get to the fact that we also learn in this episode that Boomi is a lot more powerful than we initially thought in King of I mean King of Amashu. were like, wow, he's really powerful. This episode, I'm like, he's earth bending with his face, <laughs> his face. Let's yeah, say, he's he doesn't even have to put into his forms. He's just like. Boom. All right, now I'm going to go back up the slide cuz I literally lifted my chin. That's kind of like saying, "You know, I feel like walking today and literally you're you just glide because you're imagining your feet are moving or something ridiculous like What? And it's like you just realize at that moment like, "Holy, he is a powerful offender who's literally just waiting." Like I hate to be the I hate to be the Fire Nation guard that's watching him the day he gets out
0: you know and it's it's interesting too because it's i i love that they still captured his desire to kind of just mess with people because i mean it, the whole time when they bring him down from the crane and they're gonna do the prisoner ex- or the you know the the hostage or whatever exchange between uh the baby tom tom and with boomy and you know he's kind of in the background and he's like got a smile on his face he's like looking over and azula's just like hi
1: everybody like <laughs>
0: And Azula's like, you know, this this, like, this is a very powerful king. Like, I don't think that's a fair trade. And he's like, mm-hmm. And he's just, like, nodding <laughs> along. like, in the
1: background, like, yeah, I totally agree with that.
0: <laughs> but it's like...
1: hi right, everybody.
0: And he doesn't seem unsettled whatsoever. And I think it really is this kind of testament. Because, you know, I, I think even there's moments where Iroh is kind of in a tight spot. And he you know, has looks of worry on his face and concern, but like there is there's never really a moment where Boomy is really concerned about anything, (laughs) which is kind of amazing (laughs) and beautiful.
4: he, He is the epitome of nonchalant. Like I mean, I remember you brought up Iroh. I mean, remember when he rips into Zuko in the next season because he didn't have a plan when he captured the Avatar and was in the middle of the North Pole in a blizzard. It's like, Zuko, you idiot. Like, he freaked out because, you know, he was worried. But, you know, Bumi's just, <laughs> Bumi's just taking it all in stride. And in a way, he's kind of... It's similar to Azula because if you think about it Azula is a really Azula's a wild card. She's hard to read. Um, very often you feel like, you know, obviously she's going to do this and then she just she does something completely that blows your mind. Like, you know, I didn't see her taking over bossing Say with the Dai Li in a s- silent revolution versus like a bloody siege like coming at all, but she's that kind of person. And Bumi is very much like that, but you know, he does not have the instability that we eventually see come out of Azula. He definitely is, for lack of a better term, very grounded um, in this world. And he's very, very good at hiding what he wants to do until he wants to do it, or until he wants somebody to know. You know, because he never... It's not like he had correspondence with Aang the whole time. It's not like Aang could have known up until he tried to rescue Boomy what his plan was. And at the same time, like, how can you glean what he was going to do at any point ever? You couldn't, because... He's boomy, and he's not gonna reveal. Like he's not gonna make a face that says, "Aang, don't do this." You know, he's just sitting there laughing. What is Aang supposed to think of this?
1: Mm. And and let's go back a little bit, because like you know, this is a big point of this is that like book two really gets, and in the first two episodes of book two, really, I like to point out is like when you really realize that earth bending, which is the whole book, and remember this book is earth. um earthbending is a lot more than you think it is. And, I mean, the Cave of the Two Lovers, which comes right before this episode, I mean, first off, it gives everybody their first, like, impetus of every meme possible where people are just literally yelling, secret tunnel, <laughs> and die, like, across places. But remember what the whole thing is, is that it's created, those tunnels were made and shifted by the badger moles, which they explain are blind. But they're, like, considered the original earthbenders. And so it really gives a good hint that it leads into what, you know, Gumi says in the next episode, he's like, you know, your earthbending teacher, Ang is going to be someone who really listens to the earth and listens, you know, like kind of hints to that idea that it's going to be someone who's more in tune with the badger moles, the original earthbenders than anybody before. Mm-hmm. And it really gets the idea that like the bending and going back to the idea that I think Kristen or Casey brought up earlier about the different, Um, styles of bending that you know Iroh hints to is that each one has its own like different spirit different form but also has its own unique style in some cases it's more like listening more perception so I don't know I I love that these episodes leading here are like kind of great for future thoughts but also like the next one after this one the swamp is like we're gonna eventually get to water bending, and I'm gonna be like there are connections you make seeing the episodes the second time around you're like Mike and Brian are mad geniuses. Mm. They literally were Boomy.
0: (laughs) No, I think that's a really good point. Um, You know, that you brought up, uh, you know, brought up about the lead up of the Cave of Two Lovers and talking about uh, the Badger Moles and with Boomy kind of telling Aang, listen, you have to wait for someone who waits and listens. But I guess this begs a question. If... Omashu hadn't been taken over. Do you think that Bumi would still bring Aang on as a student?
1: No.
2: No. no.
4: <laughs> He's not really a teacher. Like, as, as amazing as he is, and that he has taught Aang lessons, like, if you look at how Aang learns his elements, it's with a teacher, it's with somebody consistent. You know, this is a guy who has responsibilities as a king to people. You know, and while it would be really cool that he could have done it, I do think that in the end, I think while Boomi might not have necessarily known who Toph was, I think Boomi might have recognized that because there's no hint that he was ever going to be the teacher when you first meet him. And I think he probably understood that he would not have been an appropriate teacher for Aang. While he could help supplement and add information and add things to his experience, it would have. he seems to be better for life lessons than he is bending lessons. Like, he's very good at that. Um, the two are not necessarily mutually exclusive, but I really do think that Toff ends up being highly appropriate because of her obvious advantages as somebody who doesn't use her eyesight. You know, he, she uses like, her own form of essentially earthbending sonar, and it's it's really unique, and I think that's really important for Aang is that he has somebody who is highly attuned because he's got to do this really quick. He doesn't have time for Bumi's game, games to save the world. He's got to learn quick, and he's got to learn correctly
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I think it also gets to and to build off Casey's point I think for me and this gets the idea of any good master to begin with is that like you know it's kind of it's timely that we're discussing the idea of mastering something like a few days after the death of Stephen Hawking who literally said like you know that the the um the most dangerous thing is when you literally think you know everything kind of and I, I forget the exact quote but essentially is that the biggest ignorance of all is believing you don't have anything left to learn. And Bumi kind of even hints to it is that he's still learning because he has to learn to listen and learn and master neutral Jing. He's like somebody, this person's going to have already mastered neutral Jing. And you really getting up to this point, you really start to realize when you go back and watch the episodes again, after so many years, you realize how immature Ang is leading up to this point in terms of his impatience, his inability to be patient, and that's part of earthbending is being patient, having that ability to have patience in the basically in the foresight of knowing that you don't really have time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's one of those things that I agree. I think Boomi always kind of knew he never was going to be Aang's teacher, and I think even Boomi still doesn't see himself as a master in some cases, even though we're all like, that guy just burnt. Earth with his face! His
0: <laughs> face! John, what about you? Uh,
2: you know, I think Boomy, he would have been maybe a good teacher if he was a bit younger, but as an old man, I think he kind of regressed back into his childlike ways, which is fine, because I, I want to say um, Iroh did the same thing. I think Iroh and Boomy have a lot of similarities. Um, with how they uh, kind of have a perception on the world, um, but you know, I think it worked out for the best that it was tough um, tough went on to revolutionize earth bending with metal bending and all that you know hmm. and
0: i I think the the other the other good point too to consider is that uh, thinking about how bending changed at the beginning of Korra, and how Korra was basically telling Tenzin like, look, this pro bending, this is the new form. Like this is how bending is, uh, you know, how it's evolved, how it's changed. It's not, you know, kind of lots of deep rooted stances and slower movements. It's quick, it's fast. It's really kind of uh, a reflection of this new, faster, more technologically advanced world. And I think that a lot of that too with Bumi is that you know even though he is an incredibly powerful bender, I still think that he is more of this representation of what earthbending was more traditionally, and kind of how it was. You know, big stances, lots of slower, more purposeful movements. We see this in the fight in uh, King of Omashu, and you know it's it's lots of really powerful, slow but incredibly effective movements. But then we see Toph and it's these really quick, rapid fire, like hand gestures, movements, like stomps. It's like, it it's coming out of nowhere. But it's all rooted in the principles that Bumi kind of was showcasing, is that you really have to kind of wait, finding that opportune time to strike and then going for it. But I think that, Toph really kind of condenses the timeline and says, like, okay, you know, instead of doing these, you know, slower, more, you know, kind of exaggerated movements, it's just, all right, I know my moment to strike and I'm going to do it as quickly as possible. And I think that that was the type of bending that Aang needed to learn. And I think what Bumi recognized, and like we said, you guys said before, even though he didn't know that it was going to be Toph, I think it was knowing that it needed to be someone younger Someone who was in tune with where earthbending was heading, not just the strong foundations of where it's been. I think the last uh, one of the the last things I want to kind of touch on. You know, we talked about King of Omashu, Return to Omashu. And now I want to get into. Bumi's kind of last appearance in the old masters and the series finale. And, you know, we have this great journey that, uh, Zuko and Katara and Sokka are all on together, like trying to find out, okay, where, where is Ang? We have to like track him down, but then what do they get? They get Bumi, Zhang Zhang, Pian Dao, Paku, uh, and Iroh all together um, so I don't know what what was it like for you guys when you saw kind of Bumi's return because you know we we didn't really see anything from him after Return to Omashu he was this big fan favorite and then we see nothing through the rest of book two we're getting through all of book three and it's like are we even going to see him again so I, what was it like for you guys seeing him come back for kind of the end times
1: well I mean, Colin, you're right. Like, we last time we see him is in April of 2006 when we actually see, you know, Return to Omashu. It is July 2008 by the time we see him again. That is a lot of time. And you just kind of get this giddy feeling of, it's booming. <laughs> and to be fair, like I said, you feel really bad for the Fire Nation standing there when he's just like, oh, time for me to go. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> and like the metal just shatters around him, and he's just like, "Okay, now it's time for me just to be a giant honking badass." <laughs> like it's like you know they weren't expecting that just, and it's 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 great because it almost equivalents to what you don't expect from all the masters. Like when Iro breaks out of prison, uh, I don't think the Fire Nation guards were expecting Iro to be as like ridiculous as he is. And it goes back to the idea that throughout the entire series like in the first two books at least people the younger group is literally just literally making fun of the older masters and they put them down they say they're old their time's expired and then in this last episode you just see them just become raging like like nope we know exactly what we're doing let's just pwn you now and get this over with kind (laughs) of deal and you're like what just happened (laughs) <laughs> i mean and you get glimpses of it like when john john fights um oh why is it escaping me right now um jao Zhao, and Zhao's like you know he says like you know your worst thing was that you were impatient and john john's like total patience about how fire and very direct about his fire and the same goes with boomi like people were like oh he's crazy or like you know because are like i don't know why he just gave up and then he just busts out because he knows this is the moment to take back Nomashu for once and for all rather than continue fighting and losing people. Um, you're just like, yep, he's a genius, mad genius. And I <laughs> place with that mind like it's jump rope, but
3: it's crazy. Can we just take a moment and 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 remember that fight scene with with just those members of the White Lotus and just like how much butt they kicked and just just and then just Boomy alone if you want to focus on Boomy like that one move he did I think he like kicked the ground or something and then like these pillars went up and just knocked the tanks into like a perfect pile. And I'm like, <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. It's like Boomy's back. It, it, you're you're totally right. It was like just like it was like this giddy feeling like Boomy's back and then and and kicking butt at the same time. So I was just like, yeah
1: it's again, like, it's one of those moments where you're like, oh, I can't wait to be an old person and completely terrorize younger generations is how <laughs> awesome I am. <laughs> Bring this on now. Like, Jonathan earlier, like, oh, you know, he's old, those things. He regressed to be back to a child. I can't wait for that moment when I'm an old lady and throwing tennis balls at people from across the aisles. And he'll be like, where did that tennis ball come on. and hit me from? And I'll be like,
3: ha, ha, ha. <laughs> i'm tennis ball bending guys that's what that's what that's how it's gonna be just be like do you understand this is an ancient art form that i learned many years ago
1: <laughs> you must be one with the tennis balls as you throw them into the air and they hurl into your opponent's back of head <laughs> that'll be me at like 86 years old don't think it won't be <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible that uh, I, I love that flashback and that they gave us that moment for Boomy when they asked him, like, what were you doing, uh, d- you know, during the invasion or, you know, during uh, the, the solar eclipse? And it gives us this whole flashback of him just busting out and completely taking back the city. And I mean, you talk about, I mean, again, we said how in Return to Omashu, it's this kind of raising the bar for his abilities as an earthbender he's bending with his face and then it raises the bar even higher where he is literally shooting buildings (laughs) out from his city like out into like the chasm outside of omashu and then is able to lift this huge statue to like roll it down down the city and like down into the chasm i mean it's it really kind of takes this idea of like, you know, okay, we thought we knew how powerful Boomy was, but no, we don't. It's like, not until we see this.
1: And let's get back to when he breaks out, he just kind of looks up and like, Oh, my moment's now. Good calling card. Whack. Like, <laughs> and you know, it's day of black sun, but you don't think Boomy's supposed to be that powerful on day of black sun.
4: Well, my question is, is we know that there are some characters in the series who survive well beyond a hundred years there uh i think there were profiles of previous avatars that lived like 200 years did we ever know
1: if boomy actually died i mean i live with the theory that just... if it doesn't happen on screen he's still alive <laughs> somewhere
0: you know it was really <laughs> unclear <just> <laughs>
1: it's
0: like a whole jet thing you
1: mean like jet <laughs> yeah let <laughs> a fan panel to finally get, get them to confirm alive. that <laughs> Is he really dead. we don't know
0: Well, you know, whether it was because of him dying or just because, you know, of uh, his connection with him, the way that I always kind of took it, my headcanon, is that Bumi passed away sometime after the events of Avatar. And that was why Aang and Katara named their firstborn child after him.
1: Nah, I like to think I like to think that Boomy actually lives enough to see his protége and like basically that's why Boomy grows up kind of crazy like Boomy. <laughs> like he just he's like I're not let them underestimate you. <laughs> it's just like, and that's what he teaches young Boomy to do. Because yeah, like. you got to think he probably had time to, to
4: train him because let's face it, Boomy is kind of That
0: That is very true. Yeah. <laughs> But he would have to be so old.
1: Can we we add boomy-ish to an adjective of like a way that a person responds or acts to things? Like anytime somebody does something that we think is like relatively close to boomy, we're just like, oh, that's so boomy-ish. Like I want that to be a new adjective. Let's get that hashtag.
0: (laughs) Hashtag (laughs) boomy-ish. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So any, any other thoughts from you guys about, you know, kind of Bumi's return and the old masters and kind of seeing him for his last hurrah?
4: Like I said, Bumi is, I mean, before I met Toph, Bumi was my ideal earthbender and, you know, I think he kind of remained that way throughout the series in a way, like even with Toph being something that was revolutionizing both in the fact that she was connected in an older way to earthbending and at the same time progressing it, um, you know, Boomy was kind of her counterpart in the series. For all of her advancements, he was strong and steady, and I think that's what I really enjoyed about his character was, despite how you might have felt in the moment about Boomy as he did the most random things, he was he was a rock. He was stability. You know, he he was stability for his people. He was stability for Aang, and I I really think he kind of like. He really does represent a lot of what's important about not just being an Earthbender, but being Earth-like, because Aang does have to balance all those elements. And for all that Toph is like the Earth, she is a child, too. She is not stable initially, either, because she is fighting a lot of emotional trauma in her life. And Bumi is that counterpart. He is the stability of Earth for Aang, and I think thats he's a really cool element in the series for that.
0: Well put.
2: Boomy is definitely the type of old guy I want to be when I get to be an old guy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Again, it's like what makes it so, makes the show so accessible. And, you know, also, you know, really does give you different points of life to look forward to. And I think relish in and appreciate. I know for me, I, you know, so much of, of Iroh's take on life and his personality is so much of what I want to try to emulate when I'm older in my life, but also have that same kind of fun and kookiness that Boomy does, and I think that's you know I think it's it definitely lends to the fact of why Boomy survives as long as he does is because he doesn't take things too seriously. He does when the moment call and the time calls for it, but overall he's laughing in the entire way through, and he doesn't seem stressed. And I think, you know, stress just takes time off your life and Boomy just never, ever appears stressed except when he's like physically exerting himself. But even then it's like, that's such a, a small blip. (laughs) I feel like in the overall kind of timeline of, of Bumi's So I just heard
1: that two people want to become students in tennis ball bending, essentially when we get older, like I'll learn it first and I'll teach it to both you and John as you become old men. Um, (laughs) Don't worry. I'll become the first old master of tennis ball bending. Uh, <laughs> that's all I heard. Uh-huh. And as somebody who likes to be a crazy aunt,
4: my goal is to be boomyish in my life, especially around children, to make sure that I am positively influencing the next generation.
0: <laughs> yes. I second that. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, well, we're going to wrap things up. Um, you know, I think we definitely gave some great well-rounded discussion about Boomy, and, you know, it was, it was really fun to kind of revisit him as a character because he really is just this unforgettable personality and such a great way again, to set the tone for the show with setting the stakes for Aang, telling him his, you know, kind of overarching responsibilities of defeating the fire Lord, but remembering to think outside of the box. And I think that, you know, that lesson carries all the way through to the end. Because Aang wants to defeat the Fire Lord, but in the end, he doesn't want to kill him. And so much of what Aang has to go through to make that happen is thinking creatively, thinking outside the box, and hearkening back to those lessons that he learned from Boomy. And I think it's absolutely incredible that the lessons that we hear from Bumi and a lot of the older characters in the show are actively applied. And it really goes to show that, you know what? People have been around longer. There's a reason why they've been around the block a couple times. And it's, uh, it's a good thing to, to wait and listen.
1: So in other words, what Colin just told every person listening today is that if you're at the grocery store parking lot and see an older generation individual putting groceries into their car, you better go help them, or else. They may be boomy, and they may just be waiting (laughs) just for that moment when you're going to come around that grocery cart just to trip you and teach you a lesson yourself (laughs) with tennis balls. (laughs) Or
2: groceries.
0: (laughs) They will throw a chicken... They'll, th- they'll throw a chicken drumstick at you yeah.
2: <laughs> think
0: fast <laughs> just wax you in the face
1: That's candy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome all right well guys thank you so much again for uh joining in today and for lending your insights as always um you know thank you so much uh john casey susan and Kristen, uh for joining us for this episode discussing king boomy um Find us on iTunes, uh, rate and subscribe. Uh, That helps with overall exposure. And, you know, so much of this project is really... It's us revisiting the show and talking about how Avatar has affected our lives. And I think that um, there's a lot of other people out there like that. There's the younger fans who are maybe just discovering it now. And there's people who, you know, it's been a part of them for a while. Because it's, it's very hard to forget... A show like Avatar and characters like Boomy, because they kind of they stick around with you. So thank you all very much, and uh, until next time, let us leave. All right, Uh, so that concludes episode two. Uh, Thank you so much again, guys, for listening all the way. Just wanted again to uh, let you know the best way to get in touch with us. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Legend of Portalcast, or you can email us at Legend of Portalcast at gmail.com we had a blast talking about uh, king boomy today hope you enjoyed it too so stay tuned uh our next episode is going to be released on monday april 30th and we're going to be talking all about episode nine from book one the waterbending scroll and yes we are going to be talking about those pirates you best believe thanks guys